Is this made from real lemons? Yes. I only like all natural fruits and beverages, organically grown with no preservatives. Are you sure they're real lemons? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. Do we have a deal? Are they made from real Girl Scouts? <laughs> Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back with you, back for week two. Week two yeah. of... of Sp- spooky, spooky time spectacular. Spooky time spectacular rolls off the, rolls off the tongue. We took it to focus groups and um, they were big fans of the alliteration. Yeah, we are not from the copywriting discipline of marketing. My no, yeah, exactly. All my all my marketing work, I always have to caveat. Now, this is not consumer facing because I can't do the copywriting stuff so much. But if you wanted to use it, uh, hence why we just didn't put in any effort with Spooky Time Spectacular. We're focusing on the product here, people. That is spooky content of varying levels of spook. Last week was the Devil's Advocate. Probably more of a thriller persuasion with some satanic themes. We're easing our way into it, you know. Yeah. You can't start at 11. No, well, we've probably dialed it back a little bit this week. <laughs> we have, actually. There's more spooky time essence to it overall, but the depths of the spook are probably not quite there. No. Ah, yeah, um, that's, that's, yeah, the thematically. This week we're doing Adam's Family. Adam's Family next week will be... Friday the 13th, followed by Halloween 2, sort of really ramping up to Spooky Town, uh, I think. I haven't seen Halloween 2, so we'll see. Apparently it's a drop-off from the original, but the heights of the original, even if it drops off, is not bad. Yeah, it falls down a few flights of stairs. I'm still I'm still watching. Yeah, exactly. Have you been embracing Spooky Season at all in your, in your personal life? Are you watching any spooky things? No, not really, mate. Look, um... Yeah. I've probably said on here before, Carol is not a fan of the macabre. Macabre. Interesting. Um, so it doesn't get any airtime on the main telly. And I'm deeply engrossed in The Wire at the moment. Rewatching oh, The yeah, Wire. Oh, yeah, you've gone back. So that's sort yeah. of, that's crept in as a little bit of nighttime bed, iPad situation thing. But maybe I'll like pepper in Babadook or something as we get deeper into October. Ooh, not bad, not bad. I've been uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, John Carpenter. You have because because Blank Check are doing John Carpenter, so I've been watching along with that, which naturally brings along a few a few spooky movies, and I've been having a spooky old time over here. Good, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been good. Yeah, the, you were you were raving about the thing, so we'll have to we'll have to tick that off pretty soon. We'll have to tick. We just need to give. Uh, I mean, blank check are very thorough in their coverage of these films. Doesn't leave much for us to say just yet. So we might have to give it some breathing space. Fair but, enough. But uh, man, great movie. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a little film that came out in the year that was nineteen hundred and ninety-one. Uh huh. Thirty years ago. Oh yeah. Can you believe Good math. it? Good mathing. That sounds crazy. I'm that pretty. Sounds I can do it pretty well crazy. when the last number's the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It helps. It helps. 
But you have to reread it sometimes because that feels like a very long time ago. 30 years. The 90s feels like maybe 15 years ago max, right? But mm-hmm. Fucking 30 years. That's what they say. That's what old people say about the 60s and shit. We are. I know. Just, that's us now. It's happening. It's fucked. <sighs> anyway. Look, 91. Um, yeah. To cast your memory back. Uh, on a global political sort of lens. It was the end of the Cold War, Tristan. Ah. And the start of the Gulf War, Tristan. You got to have a war. You got to have a war. Um, maybe they were a little bit chilly up there in the Soviet um, <laughs> and hit some desert for the next 30 odd years. Complain to HR. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You want somewhere warm? Here you go. I assume that's how it went. Yeah. But it is pretty crazy to think that there's basically constantly a war. Fuck. Well, there's many. There's many. Um, but with the uh, with the US lens, I guess, in this instance. Yeah. yeah. Um, on a slightly more positive note, um, it was the start mm. of a little show that went on to mean a lot to many. Uh, many a student would wake up to this at midday. Oh. A little show that went by the name of the Jerry Springer Show, a.k.a. Springer. Oh! Jerry, Jerry, wow. Jerry. What a time. Uh-huh. That was such a winning format. It's interesting because there were a few, right? There was Oprah, Sally Jesse, Ricky Lake. Yep. And Oprah kind of went one way into like happy wellness kind uh-huh. of territory and Springer went the complete opposite way. Yeah, Maury, that's right. Maury Povich, remember Maury? Of course. Yeah, Maury was a lot Fuck. closer. Well, Springer Springer debuted in uh, late September in 91 and it was Fuck. developed basically to mimic the format and look and feel and whole shebang of fellow talk show, the Phil Donahue show. Did you remember Donahue? Yeah. It came yeah. before? I had some sick days. Yeah, that was that Donahue. annoying show that was on during your sick day and you're like, I've just got to get through Donahue. Yeah. And then I'm Golden Girls <laughs> and then I'm riding the sweet afternoon game show train into Mighty Mouse, Danger Mouse. Yeah. Shit. Kids will never understand these days. They got they so much not. content. They pick what they want. They curate themselves, which is weird. Um, I struggle yeah. with it, hence the constant mm. browsing through the movie select page on any of the streaming services. So mm. I'll give you a little a little, yeah, whistle-stop tour of Springer and you may or may not know okay. this. So, yeah, originally – Mm. Set out to be a lot more like Phil Donahue. Apparently, even Springer himself, they styled his haircut and such on of Donahue. <laughs> um, okay, they weren't um, they weren't going half assed on that. And he did start off as a more, um, I guess, politically charged and highbrow program. Um, and they had guys like Jesse Jackson on there. Uh, they were talking about homelessness and gun politics and things like that. Um, I'm not sure what was the tipping wow. point or where they sort of flick, flicked the switch. But obviously they went what, much more into the tabloid um, sensationalism sort of sphere. And, um, you know. Started- you can imagine the meetings. <laughs> it would have been like an accident and he walks off stage and he's like, I'm sorry, guys, that was a disaster. Right. And the producer's like, well. not so fast. <laughs> they love it. Can you do more a little of more of that? <laughs> and he's like, fuck yeah, I can. I have no integrity. <laughs> exactly. Well, when you throw that, um, I don't know what you call it, that money, I don't know what the name yeah. of that money is, that talk show money at them, you know, 
everyone's for sale. So the show obviously had huge success. It was, I don't know how many countries in the world it was syndicated through, but it was quite a lot. Um, it had 27 seasons. I think it only um, had its final episode in 2018, would you believe? That's fucking crazy. Yeah, right? And because I was thinking, where's he been all these years? He's still been doing this show. And obviously Steve, the main security guard that everyone wow. loved, Steve, Steve, Steve. He, he has got his a, own show. It's he got his own show. Yeah. I think um, Spring wow. is an, an EP on that. Um, he's been on America. He's his Dr. Phil to what Dr. Phil is to Oprah, Correct. Steve is to. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. This whole, this fascinates me, this whole sort of genre and click. Yeah. He's really kicked on. He's now got, you know, go, I don't know if you go full circle, but he's now got a courtroom sort of Judge Judy vibe show. Amazing. What is it called? I'm just trying to find the name of it. Judge Jerry. It's like Spring, spring court, court or something. <laughs> Did yeah. we both just say Spring Court? Spring Court, yeah. <laughs> Terrific shoes. Um, <laughs> so, mate, he has kicked on. It's, it is these guys that get, uh, get on the inside track in American television have a, get a pretty good, pretty good ride on the gravy train. Yeah. Especially in those days. It's so fascinating. And the, the irony of this guy, man, like he, he is being fucking toxic, embracing this drama, getting people to be horrible to each other. And then closes the show by saying, Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. What the fuck? <laughs> so horrible. Yeah. Now, Judge Judy, there's someone with some integrity. What about her? Did you see how she was the highest paid television? Something crazy, right? Like 50 million or something. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was big. Hang on. 60 million per a year. season or something? Yeah. A year. Fuck. Season, I've got to tell you, I would I, maybe this says something about me relative to Judge Judy. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I would find it hard to do another year after just banking 60 mil. That's what separates you from Judy. <laughs> it does, it does. My mother's name's Judy. It is no relation, yeah. It is. Um, big year for Springer, big year for, for the daytime talk shows. That mm. was an era that's kind of faded out, although maybe not. Ellen's still around. That was sorry, that Just. was going to be my other question on this. It, what's what's still She's going? She's still going, technically. It's going to finish soon. Maury's probably still going, is he? I think it's finished. Dr. Phil's still going, but it's this is the interesting thing. Dr. Phil and Dr. You have to Oz, become woke, woke, though. Well, well, yeah. Well, Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz were both. Um, spin-offs of Oprah, and they've slowly revealed themselves as absolute fucking tools. Dr. Oz, like, promoting things that don't make any bloody sense, and Dr. Phil being pretty much a, a dressed-up Jerry Springer um, to a lot of people. Like, he's not actually helping people a lot in a lot of the cases. No, he usually just, he usually just rips on people for their insecurities. Yeah. First you have to love yourself. And he's like all that shit with um, Cash Me Outside Girl who's now for some reason a successful rapper and OnlyFans entrepreneur. But she's she's come out in support of others that have claimed that the camp that he sends them to abuse you and all kinds of fucked up shit happens there. So it's all fucked up. Even So even the air quotes good people from the Oprah family are fucked up. So it's a pretty – it's a toxic thing. Yeah. Sally Jesse Raphael seemed okay, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, a big year for a big year for bloody talk shows, I tell you what. Mm. Big year for movies too. 
I mean, less less talk shows in the box office, though. That's probably where it's a bit different. Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah, less daytime talk, more Terminator. Ah. Less daytime talk, more Beauty and the Beast, more Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, a text with which we're very familiar. More Hook, more JFK, uh-huh. more Cape Fear, Hot yep. Shots, City Slickers, Last Boy Scout, Point Break, Backdraft, Father of the Bride. So, I mean, it's not a bad year for movies, I'll tell you what. But there was one film about a little family came in at number six, little family, number six for the year globally. Little family, they were a little bit creepy, a little bit kooky altogether, spooky or some, some arrangement of those words. Mm. The Adams Family. Came out in November of 1991, budget of $30 million, gross box office of $191.5 million. How's that for some Romy? Wow. Wow. Big numbers. How's this? This is, I found this very interesting. I did look at this after the rewatch, so I'm coming at this from, maybe I'm showing my hand here, but I was surprised to see the critic score was only 65% and audience score 66%. Uh Uh-huh. Side note, if you're hearing it's some spooky. yeah, some spooky sounds in the background, that's just the spooky storm that Sydney's decided to deliver uh, on this fine evening. Uh, the weather likes to pair with the theme of, of the podcast, which is very nice of them. Um, but this movie, Critics' Consensus, the movie is peppered with amusing sight gags and one-liners, but the disjointed script doesn't cohere into a successful whole. A little harsh, you might say. But we'll unpack that and we'll get into the rewatch. Pretty uh, harsh. Yeah, it's a bit harsh, but there's some, I guess there's some truth there. But yeah, we'll get there. Obviously, we'll get into rewatch and all that kind of fun stuff. But back in 91 and the years that followed, Greg, was this a big movie for you? Um, it, look, I'm a, I'm a values guy. So, Interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's weird because you're older than me too. Yeah, the first one. Like I, I definitely watched it. I think I was probably yeah. I didn't probably get it to be honest. The second yeah. one, the second one, Tristan holds, uh, shall I say, some poignant significance in my um, evolution into manhood. Oh, and there was I was okay. So <laughs> when Based I was on whom Festa Fe- Festa, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was kind <laughs> of like I don't know. I must have been about eleven or something. Maybe twelve, yeah. and yeah. you know, discovering things. <laughs> and Adam's family values—they go to this summer camp. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just like all these like perfect little blonde, you know, young girls there. And so twelve-year-old me was like, and I would have seen other films as well that had summer camp. So the notion itself of summer camp blew my mind. And we I didn't agree. Have, we, don't, we don't have that here. In we Australia. don't have that here. Your parents don't ship you off in the middle of yeah. It's genius, by the way, from a parent's perspective. Just <laughs> send the kids away, like holidays. We can't do it here because summer that. is Christmas. Yeah, and give them January yeah. January camp. Um, yeah, so good point. in my head, there I had merged merged the idea of summer camp to form a super fantasy with Mighty Ducks two and the goalkeeper out of Mighty Ducks two. I was in love with, and I had Goldberg. this like super. No, Mighty Bucks 2, there's a, a girl. Oh, right. 
I don't remember Goldberg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe Fester is your type. Yeah. Maybe. He's a real Goldberg. Um, uh, Jill. There was, I think her name was Jill or Julie or something. She was a yeah, babe. there was one chick. She, she was, was a babe. mega babe. So I was obsessed. I was in love with this character from Ducks 2. So I Me just kind of like had this, lived out this fantasy in my head where I met her at summer camp, like Adam's Family Values. So that's my, oh yeah, Adam's Family Values. So it was interesting to see that it was a, I assumed it would have been the second and been a dud because I haven't seen it in so long. What about Christina Ricci? Were you a Christina Ricci man? Um, She's around our age, let's be clear. Yeah. Before it gets weird. I think a little bit, yeah. I um, <clears throat> This was a pretty massive one for me. Was it? Not uh, Well, massive in that I think I was just the right age and it was just it felt massive culturally, at least in my bubble of being, I don't know, eight years old or something, seven years yeah. old. It felt big. Yeah. And I, I was thinking it's kind of crazy because um, I'm pretty sure I was familiar with The Addams Family before yep. the movie came out. Yep. But it's crazy because I, I wasn't watching the cartoon or anything. And the only live action series was from the 60s. So I guess to your point with how bad daytime TV was in Australia, I guess there were just reruns of that going on. I reckon I reckon you're right. Because I'd definitely yeah. seen, what was the chap who played the original, like the original couple, the guy who, I forget the guy's name, who played Gomez originally. John Aston. John Aston, like. Sean Aston's dad. It's not Sean Aston's dad, is it? It is. Is it? Yeah. Is that his dad? Isn't that crazy? Can you wow me? Give me a wow. Wow. Again, like the more you look into pretty much any actor, they're already from a successful Hollywood family. It's pretty disheartening. Fucking hell. If your dad's not John Aston or or something similar, good luck, buddy. Yeah, good luck, pal. Um, and so I thought that was interesting upon reflection that how the fuck was I familiar with the Adams family? Because that Gomez, I mean, that Gomez and this Gomez are my Gomez's. When I because yep. I in look at the origin story, I looked at the cartoons and things. These are all texts that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it's really just the OG show and this movie. Um, also, at the time, which probably muddied it a little bit in my head, perhaps was the monsters. I was a monstersman. Mm-hmm. Um, were you a monstersman to an extent? I loved it. I think there must have been a newer version of that too, because I'm pretty sure it was in color. But the whole monsters Adams family thing is fascinating. Have we talked about that before. Basically, um, they came out at the same time. And so, Bizarre. yeah, I don't know if it was NBC, whatever one Universal owns, they heard about Adam's family happening because Adam's, we'll get into the origin story of that, but they heard about Adam's family happening and they're like, what do we got? And they're like, we're fucking Universal. We've got all the classic fucking monsters. We've got Frankenstein. We've got Dracula. We've got Wolfman. We've got Bride of Frankenstein. We've got yada, 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 yada. And it's like, well, why don't we make our own kooky family out of our universal monsters. And that was their response to the Adams family. But wow. timeline wise, they basically came out at the same time. Wow. And this um, is gonna be as a child, sorry, inter- interrupt you just quickly. I feel like this is gonna be you need to have your hand uh, in the vicinity of the wow button for this episode. <laughs> I feel like you're gonna wow. drop a lot of knowledge on us. Oh maybe. A lot of interesting little tidbits. Well, yeah, that one was an interesting one for me because a bit like my Steve Martin, Leslie Nielsen um, mishap in my early years, which you could argue is more of a leap than confusion between Munsters and, and Adam's family, i got to assume I was probably a little bit confused between the two. So I don't know if I just attributed my fandom for Adam's family to the Munsters. I, I don't know. 
But there was definitely like this idea of a spooky family, a quirky spooky family being something that I was very much into. I don't, I don't remember like watching it or whatever, but I, yeah, it, it holds some significance mm. in my life, in my memory, in my like nostalgia. Sting. Like Sting. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I watched it. I enjoyed it. I feel like I probably watched it on video a few times, but, and then not for a long time since. Yeah. Um, I think there was some rights issue which prevented it from being released or re-released on video over there the years. So yeah, because it kind of there, did disappear for a while, I feel. Apparently it wasn't until 2013 that it was released outside of the US and maybe the UK um, on right. DVD. Which makes it awesome for the podcast because I love the movies that you've kind of forgotten about because it, it was completely off the radar for a while, mm. at least here. Yeah. yeah. I certainly hadn't watched it. Although I did, full disclosure, I did watch it about a year ago. And um, it must have been a Halloween decision or something. But, I, yeah, since then I've been dying to do it on the podcast uh, for reasons that we'll get to in the rewatch in terms of my yes. and what And I know we'll probably cover this in various times, but it is on Stan if you're in Australia. So um, if you want to watch it yeah, and you got and Stan. Foxtel, I just realised. And Foxtel. Oh, okay. Well, look, there you go. This, it's gone from yeah. being impossible to find to everywhere. Um, let's get into the origin yeah. story. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Origin story. This movie started as a little comic strip, Greg. Yes. I guess I wasn't shocked to hear that, but I really didn't know the details. In the, the New Yorker, no less. The New Yorker, very highbrow stuff. 1938 it debuted in some form before maybe it wasn't officially called The Adams Family yet, but the characters, the characters that we've come to associate with his family started to make their first appearances in, in not necessarily as a group or as a family but just in various places popped up here and there in various one-panel comics. This, that was this guy's specialty and this guy's name was Charles Adams of all things. Wow. Charles well, Adams. Saving his imagination for the comics, not the names perhaps. <laughs> well, it's interesting because this guy, I think the name is meaningful because he's a little bit creepy and kooky himself. Truly a Tim Burton type of his day, although where they, where they differ is that he's less outwardly a weirdo because he was a bit of a ladies' man. Oh. Uh, p- apparently he dated Jackie O after JFK died. Really? Maybe he was the second man on the grassy knoll. I don't know. It's a little convenient, don't you think? Well, yes. Yes, I do. But he's a really interesting dude. He didn't only do this creepy stuff, but he definitely, his personal taste definitely skewed towards the macabre. Macabre. And um, he he was already a cartoonist for the New Yorker. He'd done a bunch of stuff that was like super successful, that had nothing to do with the Adams family. But then started introducing his characters, and a lot of this was influenced by where he grew up. I think uh, where was it in Jersey Pencil, or something? Pennsylvania, uh, something like that. Yeah, Pennsylvania. And um, he had, <laughs> there were like big Victorian houses. Some of them abandoned, and you know you can. You can imagine a Stranger Things type scenario where him and his buddies are, you know, exploring and imagination runs wild. And these are the guys. Yeah, exactly. These characters are the types of characters that he he imagined may reside in such homes. So once he started introducing this stuff, he kind of, I guess it's something that it was successful. I don't think it was like game-changingly successful, but it it was well-received and he just kind of kept yes-anding it. And these characters would show up individually or in, in various um, 
arrangements until eventually they all showed up together as the Adams family of ghouls. I think was the original ghouls. the original names. They didn't go with spectacular spookathon ghouls. Look, this guy's pretty smart, but you know he's not spooky times uh, spectacular smart. Let's spooky be honest. Times. Yeah, look, he's a drawer, not a wordsman. Yeah. Where's the alliteration? Mm. Damn fool. Despite his ignorance, um, a TV producer by the name of uh, David Levy was a big fan. He's like, this is good shit. We need to make this a television program. The television was big in those days. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Remember television? Um, <laughs> was he related to Eugene? Is that Eugene's father? The talkies. Oh, probably. Who the fuck knows? You know what? It probably is. Let's um, go with yes. <laughs> yeah, Sean Astin's dad. Goddamn nepotism. <laughs> now, the TV show happened, which we were just referencing before, but interestingly, something I hadn't considered was in, this, in the comic books, none of them had names. So all the names came from the TV show. And uh, incidentally, Pugsley's name was originally going to be Poobert. Because he's, that's the baby's name in Adam's Family Values, yeah, I think. Yeah. Because that's a little Easter egg. Wow. Pubert. Pubert. And they thought it sounded a little too suggestive. Pubert. <laughs> All the names are so great too. It's great. It should have stuck with Pubert. But anyway. I agree. So the, the comic books, at least in their early forms, in the, in the beta stage perhaps, that started in 1938. The TV show premiered in 1964. So it's already, this is covering some period of time here. Isn't it? We're not even at the 80s yet. or the, We're not even at the 70s yet. Um, the show I think we all know and love. Other elements introduced in the show in addition to the names were the song. Uh, by Vic Mizzy. Vic Mizzy also did Green Acres, the Green Acres theme. He was a Hollywoodman. He'd done many themes. Strangely enough, it only ran for two seasons. Like it was... Really? It was successful enough, but it wasn't like a ratings powerhouse. I think probably diluted by the likes of the Munsters. You know, if you, if you wanted to tune into a spooky family, suddenly there's, you've got to divide your attention across two. So I guess, you know, the audience gets fragmented and whatnot. Oh, um, yeah, the spook audience. Uh, two two seasons. I wonder if they did like forty episodes a season back in the day. Good point. I think they did. It was <laughs> the equivalent of ten seasons now. Um, they did do a TV movie a bit later, and this is where there's just a lot of iteration happening. There was a Scooby Doo crossover, um, then a spin off of Good. that. There was a Hanna Barbera animated series that only went for one season in '73. The cartoon apparently is not very good, but one important. Uh, piece that the cartoon introduced was that Fester was Gomez's brother, whereas previously Fester was Morticia's uncle. Oh. Which makes a bit more sense when you consider how much Pugsley looks like Fester. I'm not suggesting anything, but, you know, I'm saying. Oh, what are you suggesting? Just saying. Um, Halloween special in 1977 and then kind of nothing. I think a lot of these one-offs that I mentioned like a TV movie and a Halloween special were, were intended as a backdoor pilot of sorts that if the special went well maybe they would reboot the series. Test in the water? Yeah, test in the water. I get them all mixed up. One of them had the original cast, one of them didn't. 
probably the 77 one had a different cast, maybe they're getting a bit old. But um, then kind of nothing after 77 for a while until Mr. Producerman Scott Rudin. Um, I can't remember the story exactly, but uh, so let me, uh, I'll use some, some creative license in this, but he, he's in a car with some people. An automobile. An automobile. Some people of varying ages, uh, ranging from kids to adults. The kids start singing, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na. Before you know it, the whole car's singing. And yeah, and you've got four generations in this car. You've got kids, you've got grandparents, you've got all kinds of people. They all know the words to this song. And he's like, I'm driving a car here. This is a focus group of all fucking four quadrants. If I make a movie mm. out of this, it's a surefire hit. Let's At fast track this bad boy. At every level. They're truly the Teenage Mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of its day. You know um, what else? You can what? plug that pesky autumn box office gap. Yeah, you know what? You're damn right. Um, so he's, he's like, I've got to make this movie. And there's some boring studio stuff in between that I feel like is probably always the least interesting part of Origin Story, so I won't go into it. But essentially Orion Pictures owned the rights, so he was forced to work with them. Um, but they were also on the verge of bankruptcy and about halfway through had to then sell the U.S. rights to Paramount in order to get more money to get it actually finished. It all sounds a bit messy, but mm. the movie got made, which is good. Um, but in this process um, from, you know, inception to execution, there were a few different directors attached. Yeah, there sure was. Yeah, yeah. Probably no surprise that the likes of Tim Burton was in the mix, um, but otherwise preoccupied with a little film called Batman Returns, which uh-huh. I'm perfectly happy with. I'm perfectly happy with that because, you know, Tim Burton had a bit of a stranglehold on this type of thing. So it's nice to have some other some other yeah. directors in the mix on that. Yeah. yeah. And he's going to make one anyway. We'll get into that. Terry Gilliam apparently was in the mix as well at some point. But, of course, we end up with Mr. Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, someone who we've, we've started to perhaps someone we've overlooked. So I'm speaking for myself, I suppose. I can't speak for you on this. But I feel like... Maybe overlooked by many, to be honest, as a as a bit of a uh, important figure in the nineties. This was his first movie, directorial debut. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't just sitting on the couch, fucking eating bonbons before that. He's he's doing cinematography for the fucking Coen Brothers. Yeah, this is a purebred artist we're talking about here. <laughs> now we've talked yeah. about it before when we talked about uh, Men in Black, a film which I think we both thought held up a lot more than we were expecting. Absolutely. Will this be a similar story here? Again, I just think this guy, he did some things, man. Mm-hmm. He did some things. Oh, Baza. Interesting. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about him. Interestingly, he kind of dropped off soon after Men in Black 2 at least. So it's an, he's an interesting guy. I haven't quite cracked what the deal is there, but maybe he's just happy with what he's done because it's good shit. Um so his directorial debut, uh, when it comes to cast, I found a couple of precasties, not not a bunch, just a couple of precasties. Uh, apparently Cher, Cher, Cher was close to being Morticia and and apparently Kim Basinger as well. Basinger? Bassinger. Um, and cast, I mean it's a powerhouse cast. We'll probably break down that more in terms of performances and 
all that type of jazz in the rewatch bit. They're all there. Amazing. They get these people and they put him in a spooky house and, um, you know, hands running around and many things happen and Bish Bash Bosh, you go sell a movie. And it's all very spooky and creepy and kooky. Rap party at all. What's a, what's a ghoulish um, bar name? The Cauldron. The Viper Cauldron. Rap party down at the old Viper Cauldron. Um, shall we watch the trailer? Or listen to for those playing at home. Such beauty. How can I compete? You're twice the woman I am. Look, a new chapter. Don't torture yourself, Gomez. That's my job. Trigger! That's an interesting trailer. Yeah. (laughs) No La Fontaine. It's more just, here's the vibe. What do you think of it? Yeah, it was a it was like a baraka of trailers, just some scenes. Which means, you know, the heavy lifting is now left to you, Greg, to to help refresh the minds of our our listeners at home and exactly what what is this movie about? What happened? So we are reintroduced to the creepy and kooky Adams. And I say reintroduced because of what you've been talking about. We knew this family. Now in addition to their kooky ways, they've been targeted as an easy mark on account of their stupidity and seemingly endless piles of cash. In this instance, a couple of pesky hustlers are trying to get their hands on the Adams family fortune. Now, the family lawyer is in on the act. He's been blackmailed by yeah, a loan shark for unrelated matters. And he notices that the loan shark's son... Looks a lot like Gomez's strange brother, Fester. So they set it up. Mm. They, they take Fester back to the Adamses, Fester being Gordon, uh, and he's to go on and infiltrate the family, get on the inside and clean them out. That's the plan yeah. they've got. Classic switcheroo. Exactly. But Tristan, what they hadn't planned for was that behind the ghosts and ghouls and skeletons and broths of blood and bone lies a family so sweet and loving yeah, that even an evil imposter might be swayed. So Tristan, above all, this film, The Adams Family, this film is a celebration. Mm. It's a celebration of one of the most ubiquitous yet undervalued entities in life, the family unit. The love and the close bondedness that plays out before us in the shape of the Adams 
It's such a timely reminder as we sit here, stuck here with our weird children and partners that we want to strangle. So we must embrace the weirdness within our own families and simply enjoy our time together and love one another and embrace our quirks. Yes. Sure. You could argue that it's easy to be creepy and kooky when you're minted. You go from being crazy to eccentric. But that's not the point, Tristan. Yeah. But this film is about family values and the love therein. So it's a love story, a family love story, and a bloody good one. You're damn right, man. What a fucking lovely. What a lovely picture. It's a lovely this has picture. To be, this has to be the most loving fam one of the most loving families I've ever seen in a movie without it being sickly sweet. And maybe that's how it all fits together nicely. But but it is so loving. And, oh, sorry, we'll get more into that. But in terms of initial interaction this movie, well, it's just, uh, yeah, okay. Well, this I guess it's, it's at the core of, of my initial reaction to this. It's just yeah. what a pure delight it is. <laughs> it is just I so, used the D word too. Yeah. I, I think we both use it a lot. We use it most. <laughs> I think I say it most often. It's a good point. Yeah. But but in the truest sense of the word, this is a delightful film. It is full of delight, and I think uh, you know maybe the uh, argument, maybe maybe it's so delightful because that love we're talking about is in direct contrast to all the macabre, and yeah, maybe that's true. Whatever the case is, it's delightful, and I, I don't know if it's it just hits it. different. It's part of it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it just hits different these days, but it feels so refreshing to watch. I'm so surprised at those Rotten Tomatoes scores mm, because it's better I, than that. I f- it's better than that. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just, um, you know, I mean, a big part of this podcast is the context at the time versus the context now. And this may be one of those rare ones where it's somehow gotten a lot better. Maybe this wasn't all that interesting at the time. You know, maybe... Sitcoms on TV were all full of sickly sweet loving families. I don't know, and now it's more you know the uh, always sunny in Philadelphia of the world. It's, a, <laughs> it's, very, it's, it's like you think there's an astute button push there, Tristan. Very astute on your part. There's a lot more. I mean, the drama of the time might have been uh, DJ on Full House skipping school. Yeah, exactly. So maybe um, and learning a valuable lesson. Yeah, whereas now. Everything is is dark probably, and gritty. The DJ would be, you know, shooting heroin into her <laughs> vagina and going on a shooting spree. <laughs> exactly. We've got fucking we've got all these dark any HBO show basically. You know, you've got an anti-hero and all that. And I guess you could argue that cosmetically, or at least on some superficial level, there's a bit of that here, in that it's a it's it's dark and gritty aesthetically mm. and, you know, they, they do some creepy and kooky stuff. But it's all love behind it. And I think that's the other thing too is like this is not a secret. This is not like a, a deep interpretation of the film. It is a, so much about acceptance and being okay with being different and all that kind of shit and how and the parents being so supportive of the kid, yeah. like everything about it. It's so lovely. I was, delightful. I was just about to say or add to what you were saying specifically yeah. about how supportive the parents are. Like you could almost yeah. 
you could have fun doing pop critics dissection of modern parenting. Yeah. And use them as like the archetype of what. And embrace your kids' weirdness. Embrace the weirdness, support, encourage positivity. Like, you know, in a classic Chuck Law sitcom or something, it would be like, or Laurie, Chuck, I don't know what his name is, is, um, (laughs) you know, oh, no, the kid's going through a weird stage. What does this mean? Or like, God forbid, my kid's gay or something. You know, like that's always like the the, shenanigans versus this is like, fuck yes, son. Like, do your fucking thing, man. Um, go stab your sister. <laughs> Bravo! Yeah, maybe we shouldn't take it too literally, but you know, I think I guess that's the other thing too. They are they are kind of actually pretty fucked up. Like uh, Bugsley steals a lot of stop signs. Um, he may be responsible for a few deaths, but his family's very supportive. <laughs> yeah, look, I, my my dad could relate to Gomez on that one. I had a <laughs> I had a penchant in my. Uh, early drinking years for coming home with street sides. Yeah, I've got some street sides. Oh my god, my dad's sides. garage was full <laughs> of like, yeah, no, they weren't <laughs> they weren't causing accidents, the things I stole, I don't think. Yeah. Just just, just lost pizza delivery drivers. Yeah. And uh, on that actually, fucking the attention to detail. Well, no, it's not attention to detail. The little really, things. It's just the little things later in Pugsley's room there's just all these stop signs in the background. <laughs> And so I guess I'm saying my my initial reaction to this, and a lot of this is also based on my rewatch from a year ago, is just fucking pure joy and delight. A good fucking movie, man. Yeah. Good movie. How how was it for you? It sounds like similar. Man, a hundred percent. It was like just it was just like a little warm hug. There was Yeah. It was it was a happy movie. It was I mean, I'll I'll probably talk to the next point because I agree with everything you said. I think the cast was, like, perfect. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do we want to talk about that now? That's because that's, like, that was a big big part of why I love this movie. I think you're right because the thing is when I read out the critic consensus before, it's kind of true. Like The Mm. movie is peppered with amusing psych gags and one-liners but the disjointed script doesn't go here into a successful movie. Like you could definitely argue that. Well, I'd say there's more than sight gags, but I would say it is all the things we talked about plus the cast. Well, it's the cast that delivers all the things we talked about, I guess, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think I, I kind of don't give a shit about the plot in this. It's yeah, more, I don't even know all those if he things was that the made me feel. Not. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm apparently sure he was. Apparently. Yeah. Earlier on it was more ambiguous and then they decided to make it more concrete. But, but yeah, I think it's more about all those feelings <clears throat> that this movie made us feel is the value of this movie. I don't give a fuck about the plot. The plot's just there to serve all of those things, mm-hmm. to, to, to give a, some, <laughs> some, some foundation to delivering those feelings. But I'm not like, I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't care about the plot. But, yeah, it's the cast that makes this a fucking thing because, yeah, in less capable hands, it could have just been pretty one-dimensional. It could have missed. To be fair, a lot of the one-liners are pretty cheesy, but yeah. somehow these guys take it to a level where it's kind of okay. Um, why don't we go through it as <laughs> in the order as listed in Wikipedia? So Angelica Houston as Morticia Adams. Wow. She's so good. She's great. She's so what good. What a matriarch. And it's actually... 
it is kind of a fresh take. I did watch some of the old um, Adams Family on YouTube and like her voice is quite different and her voice is actually quite high pitched and like soft almost. But it's yeah. But she still feels like very she doesn't seem like a soft person. Like it's it's interesting. Soft but strong. And they, strong. And she is kind of the boss. Yeah, there's that really powerful scene where she's sort of cradling Gomez when they've been evicted and he's asleep and he's yeah. kind of he's basically spiraling. And she's yeah. there like kind of keeping the shit together, keeping the family together. Awake yeah, yeah. in the middle of the night, kind of plotting how she's going to fix things. It's it was it, that was nice. It was cool, and physically, like it's pretty iconic. Like that that is when I was watching the old ones. Pretty much, aside from Gomez, which I think Gomez in the old TV show and Gomez in this are probably neck and neck in terms of the iconic version in my brain. But yep. as far as Morticia goes, like this is Morticia. Apparently there was a lot more going on with her costume than I realised. Apparently she was wearing a pretty intense corset. It was like metal. Yeah. And she, she couldn't like chill out between takes. I don't think she could even sit down. Which makes you respect it even more, right? Yeah. And they did this shit with her eyes where they like, it looks like I'm being racist when I'm visually describing this to Greg. But they, they taped, they did something where they pulled the skin back so her eyes kind of slanted upwards, which apparently is a beauty thing now, by the way. Like the the Bella Hadids of the world, it's like a popular surgery to get that pulled back. Like this? Yeah, that's why they, they always look like a little surprised or like, I don't know what that look is. What would you call that? Asian? It's like a different thing, though. It's like uh, that's, is that, I don't know what it that's is. That's kind of what it, they're going for, though, right? I guess, but it's not. It doesn't look Asian, I guess. Does it? Like it doesn't. I don't look at it and go, "Oh, she looks Asian." No, that, well, no, I didn't. But it may be some like it's some way to look air quotes exotic or something. Yeah, which I guess let's go with exotic somehow. But it's probably rooted in like a some kind of Asian thing. Um, but yeah, apparently that's like a thing women are doing these days as well. Is actually getting surgery to get that look. Fuck. Like they say, Surgery they say that like Bella Hadid, Bella Hadid has had that. There's also, I know this because Ara told me, there's like you can tie your hair a certain way to, and you pull the hair back. And it like pulls. To, to get that look as well. Yeah. I, no, I can't do that. <laughs> Grow out the banks just for that. <laughs> Greg suddenly looks different about you. And you're like, is it my eyes? And I'm like, yeah, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's the eyes. It's more it? the ponytail. <laughs> It's the four strands of hair on each side of your head <laughs> pulled tightly back to form the world's smallest ponytail. A bit of a man bun. <laughs> Let's talk about Gomez, Raul, Julia. Man, fucking powerhouse. Yeah. Fucking hell. These two together as well. This is chemistry. This is fire. Garami. Oh, this is the thirstiest couple I've seen in a film for a while. And how good is that? In a film for a while. It's 30 years later. Like this is a couple that fucking loves each other. They ex- they express that. This is a good, this is couple goals right here. It is. I mean, probably not for their friends. Less I think so, yeah. I'd be pretty 
distraught if you and I started having some of these conversations if we were out for dinner. God of me. Well, you just, Ara hasn't spoken French in front of you. You haven't seen the reaction. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's part of the legacy as well because apparently, you know, uh, was it just a couple of episodes ago we talked about the Hayes Code and all the rules in, in being too sexually suggestive in television and movies. This was the, the television show of the Adams Family was the first TV show to show them in the same bed and and also the first show to have any sort of implication that these two actually were intimate. Yeah, more than twice. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they are kind of an iconic couple in terms of expressing love. And there you go. that's definitely here in this movie. Absolutely. It's, it's so I think another refreshing thing to see. It's fascinating that, yeah, like you said, 30 years on, we're still viewing it with that lens like that. Yeah. Hasn't... It feels fresh to see that. Isn't mm. that bizarre? It is. And I, can't, I don't know what I've been watching where that's not there. Like it's not like I've been watching things where, I don't know, something about this. Too much John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than how fucking good is he in this. All the shit with the – he's so emotional. That's the other thing too. Mm. In a world of, yeah. I guess, you know, toxic masculinity is making a bit of a comeback, he's not afraid to show his emotions. He kisses his brother on the face or maybe even on the mouth. He, he's heartbroken. He's he's showing every range of emotions in this. Yeah. Um, not to mention all the support of the kids and all that kind of shit. It, again, it's just like – and the performance-wise, he pours everything into it. Yeah. And the um, the train scene, his train set, <laughs> is just so funny to me. Because I guess the train set thing is is a trope of, I guess, dorky dads. And so it's kind of funny that this creepy and kooky dad still has his trains. I guess he still has a train set, and I guess that's why it's such a disaster that he's gone to the train set because that's what other losers do. <laughs> but it's it's so funny. Yeah, it's so bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you got to give the film a lot of credit for putting that shit in there because I don't think that's that's not something from the TV show or the. If you look at like you know that origin story and how pretty much every execution of this has added something to it, mm. this film very much does the same. It's like a logical progression of of making it better and better. Mm-hmm. And then Christopher Lloyd. When I was a kid, I don't think I realised this was the Back to the Future guy. Obviously, later in life I did. But it's yeah. such an unexpected choice, really. You wouldn't mm. – he's like – you picture him as a tall, skinny guy. You wouldn't kind of expect him to be a fester. But, man, fucking great again. Nails it. So Anthony Hopkins was has t- had turned it down apparently. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. He would have <laughs> – it's just a whole different energy, isn't it? And I think bringing, that's quite different to the TV show. Yeah. He's got that weird energy, doesn't he? He looks um, like one of those things in, um, is it the yeps in um, Sesame Street? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Yeah. I think we're bordering on being an incredibly boring podcast because we're basically going to go through all these names and say how awesome they were. But fuck, you gotta, we've got to give credit here. Yeah. How bloody... So good. Who are we up to? Just so Wednesday. good. We're, okay, now we're getting heavy hitters here. This is, Christina Ricci is unbelievable in this movie. Richie? 
Richie? I don't know. I think it's Richie, Christina man. Richie. I think it's Richie. Yeah, I think you're right. She is so good in this, man. So good. So and good. And I thought, I think she she was born in 1980, so I guess she was 11 or maybe 10 when they were filming it. So older than she looked. I'm watching it I'm going, fuck, she's a little kid. She's acting like this. But I think she just looked a lot younger than she was. Yeah. But still. Like we talked about this, uh, you know, I, I think we've talked about how I'm not a big fan of child actors just because they're not very good at acting <laughs> generally. But Macaulay Culkin, good. Christina Ricci, even better. This is maybe I think one of the greatest child performances of all time. It's so good. <laughs> She's amazing. Apparently the, um, you know, the sleep. Oh, yeah, that was her idea. Apparently, apparently. that was her idea. The, she sleeps like a, she just goes back to sleep like a vampire, put, crosses her, <laughs> her arms over her chest. That was her idea. She's like 10. She's so good with it. It's so, um, understated sounds like a weird word because it's extreme in a way, but she, but she's, her face is so calm. Yeah. And she says these things with such like, she's kind of got this gravitas towards her. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. she's this little, little feeble looking girl yet somehow <laughs> it's it's amazing it's amazing yeah. every line is delivered so perfectly and you know i hate when it's a child actor like trying to act what they think is how an adult acts and yeah. it just comes across as all this weird thing and i get it the kids what do they know but that's why this <laughs> it's so amazing. I'm glad you didn't save your I hate child actors rants for um, when we had our mate on for kindergarten pop. <laughs> He's good though, actually. That's another one. I've put in uh, Adam Wiley as another another one of the greats. Um, he cried on cue, man. He did. That's impressive. That's impressive. Um, Jimmy Workman as Pugsley. Now he's operating at a different speed here to Christina Ricci. But it works. It works. Yeah. Uh, Judith Molina is grandmama. I mean, yep. she's there. She's awesome. But she yeah, doesn't have a lot to do other than act wacky. Um, Carol Strike It Struck It. I don't know how to say his name. as Lurch. But he's he's that guy that's been in lots of things. I'm sure we'll probably talk about him more in another movie. Yeah. Sorry. I'm to look him up. I don't know. He's been in lots of the Rob Zombie movies, I think. Or is, it that, is that a different Oh, guy? there he is. Yeah, know him. Doctor Sleep. Yeah, he's been in – he's got like this niche. I mean, he's a tall, shall we say, interesting-looking guy. He's been in lots of stuff, man. Scary-looking man. He's seven foot. Yeah. Dutchman. Not to be confused with Michael Berryman. Who's that other creepy guy that's in all the Rob Zombie movies? Ah. And then you got a you got a bunch of other people after that. We probably don't need to go through all them. But I think all those people together, fucking hell, man. Jesus. Yeah. What a cast. They, they really complemented each other, Tristan. There's it's a certain yeah. je ne sais quoi when you get the right group of people together. Man. Uh, more powerful than the sum of their parts, oh, you might so say. So much more powerful than the sum of their parts. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there's been subsequent movies. There's been animated ones recently. But Burton's finally doing it. Yeah. With an interesting cast. I know you had some thoughts on recastings as well. I did. Should we, uh, yeah. We could talk there. So so who's. We can compare and contrast. Yeah. So I purposely didn't read about that prior. So I didn't know Burton was doing it. 
And I had thought yeah. Burton could do this and you could have like a Johnny Depp type as as Gomez. Yeah, that would be the obvious, wouldn't it? That's like, the and there obvious. were rumours of that. And Eva Green as Morticia. Yeah, I, I didn't think of her. I, she doesn't, I'm not big to me. Um, I think she is it, apparently. No, it's Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, sorry, yeah, 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 right. So Catherine yeah. Zeta-Jones and... And Louise Guzman. Yeah. <laughs> How good is that? You know what I love about that is that I actually like Johnny Depp. I don't know what's going on in his personal life, but yeah, Gomez Adams, Johnny Depp, is like, yeah, I get it, but fuck. It didn't, Let's it do didn't something interesting. stack up, did it? Like it was like... It Louise was Guzman. Obvious, yeah, that's interesting. Man, that's interesting. And especially if you look at the original comics, like yeah. he's a bit more of a strumpy guy. Slightly <laughs> more por- portly. <laughs> portly, yeah, that's a good word. So it, it it sounds unconventional, but then you imagine it with a moustache as well and it all starts making sense saying, Cara, Mia, like it's, yeah. it works. Well, I had gone, <laughs> I went um, a fair bit more Latin as well. So I was yeah, like, okay. yeah, Johnny Depp could do it if, if, if it was Burton. I was like, Steve Carell could probably do it. And then I was like, nah. oh, yeah. And then I was like, all right, well, Morticia, I think Sofia Vergara could be a great Morticia. <laughs> yeah. And so then I was like, I don't know, she needs like quite a, she needs a man next to her. Yeah. So then I landed like either like a Benicio del Toro or a Javier Bardem. Oh, good. I could see either of I them like, doing it. Keep going. Yeah, I like. But, you know, Javier Bardem could probably do Fester as well. So then I was like, uh, oh, yeah. so that's that's my couple, and then and then I thought Aub- Aubrey Plaza would have been great a few years ago for Wednesday. Oh fuck yeah! She's probably a bit old now. Um, yeah. So like Millie Bobby Brown is that too obvious? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any other ten-year-old actresses. Yeah, neither do I. It becomes difficult. <laughs> <laughs> And then I had uh, our friend, big friend of the show, Brendan Fraser as Lurch. Yeah. And I'd die. He's quite tall. He's a tall man. Yeah. But, you know, you'd have to change Lurch a little bit to suit Brendan, but that would be worth it. And maybe like a Brian Cranston for Festa. I think like he could could do the similar sort of Christopher Lloyd energy. Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. Put some some kind of, I guess, put some weight on. But that's the interesting thing with Christopher Lloyd. It's like. I can't tell if he put on weight or if he just kind of carried himself differently and put on a big coat. It's fascinating. Yeah, I feel like he must have done the latter. I don't think he was doing a Christian Bale on us. <laughs> yeah. I gained over 600 kilos for that role. Um, I'm glad you didn't say Jared Leto or something as Gomez um, or Fester for that matter. <laughs> no, he's left out. Um, the the animated – I didn't do recastings because I – had those other ones in my head, plus the animated ones. Did you? I haven't watched the anime. I wanted to watch the animated movie because I thought I, I saw it on one of the streaming services. It looks pretty meh. I think fundamentally, I know it started as a comic, so it's ironic, but it's just less appealing as a cartoon because I think it's more striking as real humans being this absurd but playing it straight. Like to mm. me, that's the part of the magic versus cartoon. It's like well. Of course, all cartoons are weird. <laughs> like it's, it kind of loses its edge a bit. Yeah, that's um, a good point. I like the cartoon. I think I watched the seventies one a few times. I think it must have been on rotation right. somewhere. And I think there's been some since after yeah. this movie on Cartoon Network and things. Yeah. Um, 
But in the animated film from a couple of years ago, which actually the sequel, Adam's Family, the animated whatever, 2, <laughs> comes out today <laughs> that we're recording this. Really? October 1st, 2021, the day we're recording this. Don't so wait your day. I love these coincidences. It comes out we, today. Every time we get it's these crazy. coincidences. Especially when it's not someone dying. Yeah. Yeah, something. Those, those ones Well, suck. we can have death ones in at this time of year. <laughs> That's true. Um, but, in, yeah, in the cartoon, in the animated one, Oscar Isaac as Gomez Adams, which is not bad. Some of these work for voice but don't translate, but that one could translate. Oh, uh, yeah, I have to look him up. Oh, yeah, I could say that in your face. <laughs> <laughs> he's, what's he Charlize in? as Morticia. He's a, he's a Star Wars. Oh, him. I think he's, he's got to be he plays, in different pictures. He, he plays general Star Wars, I think. No, no, um, Charlize as Morticia, Chloe Grace Moretz in casting just as inspired as yours, I think, on that one for Wednesday. And uh, Finn <laughs> Wolfhard. Oh, how ironic. Finn Wolfhard is Pugsley, who is basically the male um, Millie Bobby Brown. He's the guy from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. 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 Nick Kroll is Uncle Fester, which I thought I thought he was Gomez. But anyway, there you go. And this is where you can start to tell what kind of movie this is. Some stunt casting. Snoop Dogg is Cousin It. He raps in it. It's like you get into that cartoon mm. rapping It. This is not this is not a movie I'm interested in. Although this film is not immune from a, from a rap soundtrack, we'll get into that in a second. Do you can you rap the mamushka? <laughs> no, mamushka. But you know who can? You know who can rap the Adams family? The Adams groove is uh, Sir MC Hammer. <laughs> Do you remember this? Um, no, but I think the timing correlates um, clearly with his bankruptcy. Yeah, pretty much. It's a good example. A, it was the style at the time, but B, it just looking at that, watching that video, I know you guys can see it, but watching that video, MC Hammer, a great. we've talked about doing a music version of this podcast and looking into mm. the, the music world and do things hold up and what the fuck happened there. And uh-huh. that's a, such a good example. MC Hammer is such a good example of that because yeah. it's fascinating. I've kind of forgotten all about him. I can't really – I know he was big on Twitter for a while there. That was, was like – What was he doing on Twitter? Yeah, he was like an – it was just an early Twitterman in general, and he became sort of a a quasi spokesperson for them. As hey, everyone's following MC Hammer on Twitter, and he, I don't know, he spoke at conferences and things as like how to use Twitter, and I can't remember. <laughs> it's just how weird. to best use one of those weird fifty things. characters or whatever. Twenty? How many characters do you get on there? I think it was yeah, more just like when Twitter was starting to blow up, and it was like. You can imagine an advertising agency going, well, let's speak to someone quirky who's blown up on Twitter and getting him. Um, but that song was a top ten hit in the US. It's a good song um, also for the time, for the moment. Golden Raspberry winner of best uh, worst original song. It peaked at number four in the UK. I think that was the highest it peaked around the world. It peaked at number 12 in Australia. And... Um, 
the most immune to the charms of uh, old MC Hammer, a Burrell, by the way, he's a Burrell, was Canada with uh, number, it only picked at number 67 in, in Canada. It was part of the MC Hammer album, Too Legit to Quit. Ah, big song. Yeah, which, well, this is the thing, that song, yes, and then I look at that album, the rest of the songs, I don't remember them at all. So. What about the song, the title track? The, yeah, aside from that song. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant. So, <laughs> There's two. But yeah, <laughs> no, but that song and then, the, yes, yeah, the name of the album and then looking at the rest of the titles on the album. How many I'm albums like, did he have? So you're right. I don't know, it must have only, I reckon max three. Because what was the one that Can't Touch Can't This touch was this. on? What was that? Was that album called Can't I, Touch This? If I had to guess, I Probably. would have said that's the, yeah, that one you said. Was that called yeah. Hammer Time? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds probably right. Oh, that might be the third. That sounds like a bankruptcy album. <laughs> a bankruptcy album. He did spend all his money. Oh, is it like Don't he? Make Him Mad? Or what is it? Don't Make Him. Oh, what is it? Don't Hurt Him. Yeah, that was somewhere that, wasn't it? I really don't know. Okay, it's too legit to quit. Let's get started. Oh, yeah, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. That's the one. Uh, wasn't he a Fuck, pastor? He's got a lot of albums. He's got so many albums, man. Does he? He was a pastor, wasn't he? Some of these are greatest hits. Is he? I think that's Mace. Oh. Is Mace a pastor? No, I, think that's, I think so. And oh. I think it's MC Hammer too. And Malice, I think. Scratching your name on the blue. <laughs> Is that what he says? That's all right. I can only do the mumbly version. It's a shame they didn't give him a cameo of sorts. Y- yeah. Well, they had the opposite. The music video was full of the cast yeah. doing silly things. You know, in, in line with a... Who are you going to call? In line with a Ninja Rap. Ninja Rap came out the same year, by the way. Oh, what a year for rap themes, film I mean, theme songs. Yeah. Adam's, Adam's Groove and Ninja Rap, it, it is truly the Munsters and Adam's family of its day. It's very, it's very astute. It's very astute on your part. It's also a, a segue because I got a little... I got a little surprise for you, Greg. Oh, okay. A little, uh, a little quiz, a little... Little rapid fire. Oh, because I thought it was interesting. Tables of turn. Monsters was Monsters was a blatant ripoff of Adam's Family. Yeah, but the, Monsters is not bad. And if I had to choose in terms of television show, I probably liked the Monsters more. Ooh. So I've 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 curated a list here across different media of. Copycat versus original and vice versa, and I want you to tell me which one you prefer. Go with your gut. You know you can you can elaborate if you want. You know how these things work, mm. but you don't have to. You don't have to explain each okay. one because I've got quite a few. I've got quite a few. So first up, TV show, Adam's Family or Monsters? Uh, I don't know. Adam's Family. There you go. Point Break or Fast and the Furious? Point Break. Correct. Halloween or Friday the 13th? Halloween. Maybe we'll find out next week. Yeah. Oh, on the, sorry, just back on the whole Halloween or yeah. Friday the 13th. If you'd asked me before we covered Halloween, the original, when we did last uh, year, yeah. I would have said Friday the 13th. So I'm a new Mike Myersman. Yeah, interesting. Uh, John Matrix or John Rambo? Oh, oh, that's tough. I yeah. got it. I've got to go Rambo. Like, oh, Rambo. It's hard to not, I guess, cultural legacy and shit. Back to movies, E.T. or Mac and Me? Mac and Me. (laughs) 
Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark or Romancing the Stone? Raiders. Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom or Indiana Jones in the Poon. Temple of Poon? Poon. <laughs> <laughs> I got very excited when I came up with that one. <laughs> Poon. <laughs> Poon. You had me at Poon. It was the last word. Uh, Bloodsport or The Quest? <laughs> I'll have to go. Ooh, <laughs> not tough question. I'll have to go Bloodsport. Bloodsport or Kickboxer? Bloodsport. Wait. Bloodsport or Lionheart? <laughs> <laughs> the list goes on. No, it's only those I two. actually did think about that when we did them back, you know, a couple of years ago, and I did definitively land on one more than the other. I think it was Bloodsport. I think Kickboxer. I was the same. Yeah, I think I landed on that too. If I had to choose one, like if one got removed from history, you couldn't remove Bloodsport. Um, sudden Death or Die Hard? Die Hard. And then finally, Time Cop or Looper? <laughs> <laughs> Time Cop. Keep going. It's better than yeah. Looper. Time Cop is better than Looper. You have wonderful taste in movies. Who <laughs> <laughs> curated those questions? Me. Was that just off the internet? <laughs> it was off the dome. <laughs> oh, I love off it. the dome. Oh, That's why you good. get Temple of Poon. Temple of Poon. Uh, should we get into verdict? Let's do it. We're going to relieve my wife of our children that we love so dearly. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I I'd like you to answer the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. Man, my overall thought on this one, fucking good movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like without just repeating myself, I guess the other piece I would add which I touched on is just that I think – Sonnenfeld is perhaps an undervalued, important piece of 90s movies. Yeah. Between this and Men in Black, like we said, Men in Black held up like a motherfucker, way more than I expected. I thought it was going to be trash, to be honest. And in this, I thought something similar up until a year ago when I rewatched it. But they're both fucking special. Do you remember? I totally agree. Do you remember we talked about, I, th- I think we talked about some of the way he, like the way he deals with relationships and sort of sentiment, there's right. like if you look at uh, at Men in Black, like there was more, it was more emotional and more emotive, I should say, than yeah than I had recalled previously watching it. And then you know, there's a little bit of the backstory of Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a bit going on there, and I think he seems to have like a pretty good way with you know conveying. Good balance. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel too schmaltzy. Like if if for whatever reason you never saw this movie and you heard how we were just describing it, it probably sounds horrible. <laughs> but it's not that the movie, it's like a perfect balance of all these things. It's not that it's all just schmaltzy. Yeah. Like family love stuff. It's just, that's just sort of undercurrent throughout with all this other macabre overlaid, mm. so you don't feel like it's too much of a fucking, you know, seventh heaven or something. But it's what a fucking joy! Yeah, hundred percent rewatch. Yeah, hundred percent rewatch. 
Yeah, same goes for me. It's a rewatch. It's it's like it's just nice, easy viewing. You know, don't over. Yeah, don't go in expecting too much now. Now that we've sung its praises for the last hour and a half, but you know, it's still, still, it's, it's pretty. A good point. You know, Manage it's still pretty light viewing, yeah. but it's just like great performances. It's a it's a feel good movie. It makes you feel good. It is. It is a feel good, and there there is some. It's coming from the right place. It's coming from a good place. Yeah. Acceptance. Be different. Embrace your differences. Yeah. And your kids too. Let them be them. Yeah. I think the premature passing of Raul Julia is kind of accentuates that a little bit. Like just seeing what a in this role particularly like, yeah. seemed like such a lovely guy. And apparently there was potentially this was going to be a trilogy, so that's kind of that's a mm. bummer. It's a yes. Do I give it three and a half or four? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'd probably give it f- if I had to. Again, I'm I'm trying not to do stars too much because I feel like it's it's all subjective. So I don't want to like put a stamp on it. But yeah, I would, I would put a four at least. I think there you for go. Me. Maybe seven. Like a like maybe a, seven. Like a Middle Eastern hotel. Like a like a <laughs> seven stars. Yeah, <laughs> Dubai and. UAE and whatnot, they love a, a lot of stars, I, I'm led to believe. <laughs> uh, did Simpsons do it? Fuck, I forgot to check. Yeah, I've probably seen them. Yeah, I think I've seen them dressed up as the Adam probably. family. And I was also thinking early Simpsons is kind of similar to this um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that they were an unconventional, well, not unconventional family, they were sort of the classic dysfunctional family, but on the surface, like not a air quotes good family, like Homer would choke butt and shit. Yeah. But especially in the early seasons, Homer was incompetent but well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Eventually he just became more of a buffoon, a bit of a Peter Griffin. Oh, he was always well-intentioned. in the earlier I seasons. I always thought he was well-intentioned even later. Later I mean as in post-season 12 oh, where yeah, we probably yeah, don't, no longer watched. It's just it's just kind of random. Yeah. It's just, I'm an idiot yeah, stuff. Fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he's getting his, his work into the quickie mark because he wants to buy Lisa a pony. Like there's... There's something nice and pure about it. so this seems to do it. I can't remember, but but there's definitely there's a vibe there that's similar. Um, porn parody. Yep. Uh, I assume there is. I don't really want to look. That the one Adams up, Family Gangbang. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> FX test. Yes. Uh, thing was done very well. Good makeup. Various other things. Good makeup. Um, there's. There's a touch of outdatedness in some of it, but I think only in ways which that makes it more charming. I think, really, yeah, it's it's got a it's an aesthetic, man, <clears throat> like early Burton, similar kind of vibe. Um, Recasties we've covered, and MVP is this might be the toughest MVP decision of all time. I'd give it to all of them if I could, but for me, I think just due to shortage of. Of performances, I guess I got. I got to give it to Raúl, for me. Oh, I was going to give but it. But Wednesday the was close. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Fair what enough. A cop out. <laughs> I think it, for me it was just the, the, the. It's all of them. Yeah, yeah. It was like a. It was a. It was an all star performance. You know the cast. I think I said this like last week. What? Or I've said it very recently. So I apologize for yeah. repeating myself on a completely different film, but. Just when you're like, this cast is working, man. It matters, doesn't it? Fuck. It does. I know that sounds obvious when you say that. Yeah. But we do cover so many movies that when you see when it works, you realize, fuck, it's important. Mm. 
<laughs> um, as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, Christina Ricci, definitely MVP. And then five minutes later, oh, oh, Christopher Lloyd, MVP. Mm, <laughs> like they're yeah. all fucking amazing. Ah, so if we haven't oversold it enough and if you haven't watched it recently, man, go go fucking watch it right now. It's spooky season. What better time? Get the whole family involved. Get the family involved. Because the ones we're doing, the ones we're doing next week, not so much. Yeah. You've got to watch them by yourself in your man cave or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. But until then, maybe find us on the socials. Maybe leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. That would be dandy. Yeah, if you love the reviews, they help with the algorithms, you know. So they do. They really do. Yeah, we've got to we've got to try and counterbalance our uh, our marketing budget of zero versus some of um, of the uh, larger podcast networks, which have <laughs> yeah. a marketing budget of larger than zero, much more than zero. Mm. Yeah, mm. at least ten times. At zero. least ten. <laughs> 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 Very good. Until then, we'll see you next week for Friday the 13th. Stay spooky. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Yeah.